This is episode 42. I'm Jules. And I'm Cece. How's it going tonight? It's going. We were we were just starting to talk to each other before we went on air, and I told oh. you to knock it off because we were starting to giggle and stuff, and I'm like, let's save it for <laughs> on air. Get yeah, because I was just... Hey, so you've been, you were drinking bubblers, and I thought you didn't like the bubblers. Well, you know what? Fat people don't have a lot of choices in life, so... So you don't enjoy it? You just drink it because you feel like you don't have a choice? I enjoy them enough. I Do I enjoy them as much as a venti flat white with three pumps of white mocha? No. Fuck no. I don't. Well, of course not. But, like, I I think that it is out of necessity that I, I did, went ahead and ordered some online because they're mm-hmm. made in Wisconsin. I didn't know that. Yeah, they are. That's why we got them first. We love them here. It's we're not talking about drinking fountain. They're a can of <laughs> of like soda. Hey, also people would not know what a bubbler is, just so you know. Okay. Well, I don't fountain. call it a bubbler. I call it a water fountain if I'm talking about a fucking water fountain. Okay. Well, anyway, these I think things... that's a different part of Wisconsin kind of thing than where I live. It's a bubbler. It's U-B-B-L apostrophe R. It's an They don't sponsor this podcast, so. They don't, but if people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Okay, it's an antioxidant sparkling water that boosts, energizes, and restores balance. And there's natural caffeine in it. I think it's probably green coffee extract is my guess, if I had to know for sure. Well, I'm going to look it up right now on here. I don't really know if it gives me more or less energy but it is only five calories yeah i don't fucking know it says natural caffeine yeah five calories it's good it's got <laughs> fake sugar in it which is i mean it's not like terrible it's stevia bad for you in your erythritol your urethritol i don't know how to say it it sounds, it sounds like, like a to me when i say it yeah i don't like that cool well I mean, we're recording a lot of episodes. We don't have anything new to talk about. And these people don't care. Honestly, I bet they don't fucking care what's going on with us. So listen. Are, what are we talking about? Care about? We're talking about haunted things tonight. We we decided it's that gonna we were going to be very scary. This. It's going to be very scary. It's really it's really not. I Yeah. You get scared. I really get easy. scared. I'll be looking behind myself all night long. <gasps> Oh my God! Look behind you. It's the goat man. He's standing no, in the window. No, it's okay. What if he gets in there? I didn't close the blinds, but it's still light outside because of hopefully what is the last daylight savings the ever? Daylight savings. Are mm-hmm. we in yeah. daylight savings? Or yeah. So this is it, and then like if it's really daylight... done, if it's really done, then we'll be done in November. It'll turn back, and then everything will be fine. Okay, and but do it you won't happen confused? ever again. Do you get confused about what's real and what's not? Like, I'm always, like, confused all the time. Time's about, not real. Like, so. am I in the real time or am I in daylight savings time? Which is I think that time. we're in daylight savings time. So it's fake? I, don't, I think that they said that it would be done after November, so that leads me to believe that we're not in real time. We're on borrowed time where they took an hour away from us or something. So we have to fall back again in the fall? Yeah, and then I think it's over, but... I don't think that they've fully passed it in Wisconsin. I don't understand I just this, am, but I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about it. 
if you know, please feel free to reach out to us at weirdshitmymomsays at gmail.com. Explain it to us. And I try to Google it. The doc's going to listen to this and be like, you're dumb. Oh, no. That's fine. It's going to shame us. It's fine. The things I say. That's why we have a show. All right. So we're going to talk about San Antonio. Ooh. Haunted places near the Alamo. Do you know what the Alamo is? Um, I kind of do, but this is where I don't want to say it out loud because I didn't pay <laughs> enough attention as a child in history. And I know that it's something important. And that's the problem. Well, don't put me on the spot like that, man. <laughs> it's okay because literally I went to San Antonio. I didn't even know you ever went there. What? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know. It was like a couple years ago. We took a haunted yeah. vacation. I figured out when it happened. I just was like, I didn't know that you were there when you were there. I just knew it was like a haunted vacation, and I guess I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. So we we took this. We took a a trip where we did a bunch of haunted stuff on that one. We really wanted to do East Coast. Like a tour all the way up the East Coast of a yeah. bunch of different haunted places, but we just didn't have the time and or resources at that moment. So we did a trip through Louisiana and San Antonio and did the same thing because I had been wanting to go to the Riverwalk. Yeah. Uh, so the Riverwalk, if you look it up online, the San Antonio Riverwalk, it looks absolutely beautiful. I but mean, it's scary? No, it's not scary. Oh. I mean, I don't think it's scary. So basically, it's like a two and a half mile stretch of these walkways that are on either side of, of the San Antonio River. Mm-hmm. And there's like restaurants and shopping. It's just like a touristy area. There's a lot of li- mm-hmm. live music, yummy food that's, you know. There's colorful of- umbrellas. Of the region, the colorful umbrellas, the pretty lights. That looks fun. I want to. And you take there. these stairs, like you can take the stairs to go like up and down, and like they do riverboat things. Like there's on... like pretty riverboats. Yeah, these little like and, pontoony kind of guys. And I, I guess they cutouts have... on them that are they have like look like you designed them, but you didn't. They so. have a boat parade. Oh, that's fun. Like I know. I I didn't get to see any of that, and oh, I just. Because fucking COVID sucks ass. Okay, when we COVID went... COVID is stupid. It was stupid. When we went, not as many places were open because COVID. I think it was in 2021, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe it was 2021. And it, there were still a lot of people that were making you wear masks and, you know, just like... Oh, mm-hmm. they were having a hard time finding workers. That's what it was. You oh, know, okay. You know yeah. the pandemic when all the people that work disappeared. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, they went away. They all went away to some secret land. I don't really know what happened there, but I don't know it wasn't. It was beautiful, but it wasn't like the full experience of the. So, river how walk. far away is that from you without triangulating yourself? Oh boy, maybe ten. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it was like 10 hours. Oh, I was like, can we just like hop over there when I'm down there? But I guess that's no. a little bit far. 
you really can't just hop over there. So it, yeah. I mean, it was a trip. Okay. Like we wanted the girls to see Texas and we love going to New Orleans. And so of course we planned that as well. And we went to the haunted swamp while we were there. I want to go to New Orleans, but I just feel like if I spend too much time there, I'm going to end up dead. Probably. You have a really bad track record. With I do. Yeah. yeah. So this this Fuck part of it. it, that's why I can't remember exactly how long it was because we made some stops. Like it was. A, yeah, that makes sense. You'd be pl- you'd be proud of me. I really, really planned this vacation. Like yeah, that's crazy because usually you long? just fly by the seat of your pants I while know. I try to keep you on track. But there were so many haunted places I wanted to see. And so I had us like, I'm like, okay, we're going to get here at this time. We're going to stay this long at this place. And then the next, like, we just went like to a new haunted hotel at a new location every night of the trip. So that's crazy. Well, I would be scared. But okay, so tell us about the hauntings in this beautiful place. Okay, so that really was, I was just talking about like, you know, the river walk there just getting you in the mood for San Antonio. It was created as part of a 1938 flood control plan called the San Antonio River Beautification Project. It really was the solution that they had to come up with following this really, really bad river flooding that had happened years before in 1921. Oh, wow. And it took them quite a while to figure out how to do the dams and, and all that other stuff that was related to the project. So yeah. during that flood in 1921, it killed 51 people, not to mention the 23 others that were reported missing that they didn't find. Okay. So there's dead people around that are creeping, dead people probably. About. So that's no that's disrespect one thing. to any of the dead. Like, I think that it would have been interesting if we, if it would have been more um, open to the public during that time period so that we could have really spent some time on the river walk at night because we really didn't get to do a lot of like being down in that area at night. So the circumference of the river walk is at the heart of the original 1700s Villa de Bejar. Bejar outpost. I said that wrong, I'm sure. So sorry about that. Everyone from the city of San Antonio. <laughs> you didn't look it up? Uh, can you just stop? Stop judging Yeah, just. Me. Oh, I thought you were going to just say stop so you can look it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> just stop being a bitch. I, like, for I don't a care that much. And just let me say things however I feel like. Okay. Okay. Okay, anyway, that outpost would eventually become the city of San Antonio. So this whole area actually has a really sordid past. I mean, like, there was a lot of violence and things that happened in this area as it passed hands between various countries. And, like, Spain was in there for a while, and then, you know, Mexico, and then Americans took it from Mexico, and... There's just like a lot of people fighting over this land, not to mention the Native Americans that were in that area, too. Like it just yeah, a yeah, crazy yeah. amount of shit happened at this location. And it's interesting because of the episode that we just did before this, where you were talking about ghosts and how long they might hang around an area. Because like in yes. the world, in the afterlife, 100 years to them is a heartbeat, right? 
So maybe it's just them having that temper tantrum where they don't want to leave the area. So the yeah. funny part is that most of the ghosts that we talk about in this are from that within that 200 year time frame of when the Battle of the Alamo took place um, in okay. 1836. So speaking of which, Alamo Plaza is the site of a really bloody battle, battle the really let me just back that up for the a really bloody battle. I'm not even drinking anything but a bubbler. Is the site of a bloody oh my god, it's a bloody battle of the Alamo. Okay, anyway, each year, um, literally like thousands of people flock to this site to pay homage to Texas's quote unquote fallen heroes and so like what if we like what if our listeners don't know what the battle of the Alamo is because they forgot about history class well I'm gonna tell them about the battle of the Alamo oh good okay Thanks. and I just did a bunch more because our listeners might be confused yeah I did a bunch more refresher reading on it oh good which whenever I read the history I just always feel so bad for like everything for everybody that lived in the past yes like including history. us because if we're reincarnated so. yeah the hit like the history of the area is just like with war there's always a sad part you know what i mean like there's always somebody that's losing something because yeah. everybody that's fighting is fighting for what they believe is is their home and whatnot and like it just it's just sad it's sad so literally Mexico had just gotten its independence from Spain and then turned right around and the the people that were living in Texas who are referred to as at that time the Texians and the Tejanos. Tejanos are Mexican born individuals that were living in Texas and then the Texians were basically a bunch of southerners that were living in Texas. Yeah, like Americans. Again, this is the year of 1836. The The war that happened between Texas and Mexico was happened basically from 1835 to 1836. It was roughly a year-long period, so pretty fast and dirty. There was, they were trying to get their freedom from Mexico. So it just depends on like whose version of the story you read, right? If you read the Texans, they're like, oh, we were being oppressed by Mexico. And if you read the Mexican version of it, like they're basically saying that they didn't believe in the value system of Southern Americans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because they were they were doing a lot of cotton farming there. I was going to say, like, to be fair, like the Northerners didn't either. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's why it just like it feels yucky. The whole mm-hmm. the whole topic of what was going on there feels yucky to me. Yeah. At that point in time, the Alamo compound was it was freaking huge. It was a massive complex. Um the plaza spanned four hundred and sixty two feet by hundred and sixty two feet, with the exterior limestone walls were basically two to four feet thick. So when we were inside the Alamo, you can like 
see out of where they would have been shooting out of some of these things, like literally fucking fortress walls. Uh huh. I mean, it was really cool to see the inside of of the fort, the parts of it that are that are still there. Stationed throughout the Alamo were large scale cannons, some eighteen pounders, some twelve pounders. I don't know what that means because I'm not like a cannon. Is that like the size of the cannonball? I'm like think a bowling so. ball size. That would make sense. Like, what do cannonballs do? This sounds like a stupid question, but like, I think they explode. They explode, right? Um, I'm gonna f- do a side quest right now. But like, what happens if you get like hit in the stomach with a cannonball? Like, okay. does it blow you so, up or does it, like, throw you before it blows you up? Solid round objects that would ricochet off the ground and often used to target fortifications and enemy artillery. Case shot was an anti-personal projectile, meaning it was used against soldiers. Yeah. So. Like, we have some of the. Wondering out loud, did cannonballs explode? Um, Okay. So it makes me think that they didn't maybe explode because, like, the dock has a bunch from... There were some that were exploding and some that were solid projectiles. Okay. Well, obviously, we have solid projectile cannonballs at my house because none of them have exploded. Yeah, so I guess some of them might have mortars. Getting hit with one would be really a bad day. Even if Yeah, I think even if it was just, like... I mean, that would crush your head, for sure. Yeah, it would totally crush your brains. So you're trying to, like, bust a hole through, like, the walls or something. Or or your your person. It would bust a hole through your person. Yeah. We're... Yeah. We'll be like, ill-informed individuals. Okay. Yeah. So bad. Bad things were, were happening. So it's no doubt that the military compound was quite a sight when the Mexican troops were, like, walking along on March 6th of 1836. However, even though they were walking up to this huge compound that was very, very well guarded with walls, there weren't a lot of people inside at the time. So the Mexican troops definitely had the upper hand. The layout of the entire Alamo compound during the Battle of the Alamo. (laughs) You need to cut that part out because it literally was a sentence that went to nowhere. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was the sentence that I wrote. What the fuck? Okay. (laughs) All right. Go on. Um, all right. So if we're looking to find out where General Santa Ana breached the fortress walls, you would check out the upper left wall where Colonel William Travis of the Texian side is said to have died. That really probably means nothing to you unless you go and look at a picture of it. So now I'm realizing what the layout of the entire Alamo compound during the Battle of Alamo means. It means that there was a picture that was supposed to go right there and it didn't transfer over. Okay. So I literally was just like presenting that to you. 
I'm like, let me try to explain this. And anybody listening, there, a lot of people are going to listen in their cars, so they're not going to know. So I guess go look at Basically, the there was just there. like a wall area where Colonel William Travis is said to have died. And we'll talk about him a little bit more as we go through because okay. he is part of these stories of these haunted right. hotels that are on Alamo Plaza. Because oh. it's literally a plaza where the Alamo is in the middle. And then hotels and stuff like popped up all around it. So oh. a lot of people So it's died. like really like right in the middle of all the Yes. Things. Like it literally oh, is the site of yeah. deaths. And there's just like hotels, like old timey ones popped up all around oh. it. And we stayed in a couple of those. And that's what we're talking about. All right. Today, only the old jail, the barracks and the chapel remain that are from the Grand Mission and the fort. So we got to go inside of the chapel. Uh, we did all the stuff, but, like, the chapel I thought was the coolest. Yeah. In February of 1836, General Santa Anna marched with his troops, like I said, and he was coming towards the mission, and he really wanted to just end this rebellion. Like, the Texa- Texians and the Tejanos were were totally... Up against the Mexican government, the Mexican government kept trying to put down rules, right? So literally they were living on Mexican soil and the Mexicans were like, okay, these are the rules. And the folks living there were like, nah, I don't want to do that. I ain't going to listen to your rules. I'm not going to pay your taxes. You can go take a hike, right? Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. So... The Mexican general, Santa Ana, he was like, okay, I'm going to just take care of this problem. I'm going to bring 4,000 soldiers. One one place that I read said 2,000 soldiers. Another one said 4,000 soldiers. And they literally were, like, on the same website. And they're like, folks, please get it together. 2,000 people is a huge difference. So that I do apologize. That is a huge difference. And this is, like, a historical event. I know. Are you going to look? Yeah, I'm just right now. All right. So the odds were like super stacked against the Texians and Tejanos because they literally had like, I think, 189 people in the fortress. Oh, see, this says says 100. I'm seeing all the. Then I saw 4,000 versus 200. Oh, no. Yeah. All over the place, man. So, like, roughly 200. Texians and Tejanos. Um, I've read that it was specifically 189, so I don't know. Oh, I see that. Awesome. But they held out, like they held their own for 13 days. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's crazy. 13 days just being like barraged over and over and over again. Oh, apparently we don't know. Okay, so it says 13 days between 1,800 and 6,000 Mexican soldiers besieged the fort. So somebody just picked the number 4,000? All defenders, less than 200. So apparently they don't know for sure, but anywhere between 1,800 and 6,000, which is quite a a big range. But It is quite a large range, so I don't know what happened there, but... So the commanding officer was this William Travis, right, that we were talking about, like where I said, look up to the left side of the wall. That's where he died. And that means nothing to any of you. Yeah. Um, he basically sent out 
he like sent little troopers out and was like, go to other Texas communities and ask for aid. Right. They're like, we're all fighting for Texas. Like send for help. We are in a bad way here. Yeah. And he did get reinforcements of 32 people. Oh, so they're like 32 guys and they're like, we're going to go off and probably. And that that was what that counted in that number that was close to 200. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. So not exciting for them back there. They're like, this is it. This is what you got me. As opposed to breaching the walls from the front or what we can consider to be the front nowadays, like the if you look up the Alamo, you will see what appears to be the front. General Santa Ana gathered a large portion of his troops by the northwest corner of the compound instead of the front. That was where the Mexican army gained access and they breached the mission's exterior fortress. Okay. So they were able to get over the walls. Nonetheless, the artillery men's quarters and the infantry barracks being nearby, there was simply really no way for the Alamo defenders to ward off hundreds of men all at once. I mean, like, they, they just were like... It just there would be no to... way, even yeah. if it was 1,800 guys against 200. It's not the same. They would have to have, like, the best fortress ever. And I guess they didn't. Yeah. So one by one, the Texan supporters fell... And there was a lot of gunfire and bayonets and bad things happening to them. So Mm -hmm. those who witnessed the fighting later commented that the northwest corner of the Alamo saw the heaviest fighting, right? Like they just said, as well as the heaviest amount of bloodshed. Some famous people died in this. Like there was one pioneer guy that his name didn't mean anything to me. But there was a guy named Davy Crockett. Oh, I know who Davy Crockett is. Davy Crockett died at the Alamo. What? He did. Okay. And like, I guess it's like very disputed whether or not he went down fighting or whether or not like some of the Mexican side says like, no, he he just came and and he waved the white flag. What is that called? Surrendered. He surrendered and then we just killed him. But then oh, okay. other people say that he, like, went down fighting. So. I mean, if I it was, know. like, 20 to 1 to me, I'd be like, listen, let's let's do this real quick. So <laughs> The math ain't mathin'. What's I wasn't going to be a soldier, though. What's going to happen to me? I I feel like I'd be a fighter. Like, I get pretty mad. I, I think I could. I think I could hold my own. Okay. So people writing down history in this, they did remark that there were so many mangled and dilapidated bodies in that section of the military compound that the soil was completely, completely soaked with all of the blood. And I did read someplace else that like even a year after everything had gone down, there was still like a pile like where dead bodies and stuff had been and that they made a mass grave. Take care of that right away. Okay. It kind of seems like they maybe tried, from what it sounded like, it kind of seems like they maybe tried to burn it and it didn't really work or something. I don't, I don't know. Somebody was living in a nightmare there for sure. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't really find any information about like what happened right after because they lost 
that battle. So like, did the people that, that lived in that area, did they just like run away for a little bit? I don't really know. Uh, I don't know either. The entire battle from the first breach by, like when they first breached the walls lasted no more than 90 minutes because at that point, I think they had been fighting and fighting and fighting for days, right? Yeah. Ugh, I Like, that's just that you go to those places and you just think about like, all of the sounds, the sights, the smells that the people yeah. in these fights. Like, you really have to believe in what you're fighting for. Like, you're literally putting your life on the line. Like, you're, like, basically dying for it. Yeah. I mean, you are. You're, you're dying for it anytime, you know, countries or people go to war. Yeah. And it's just, it's, that to me is very interesting, like, what drives people to do Mm -hmm. the things that they do and then to be in one of those places so we got to go there and we actually got to stay there right in one of those places it's very much like colonel william travis's last moments who was one of the key defenders who is said to have been shot and killed right where the front desk lobby wait the front lobby desk not front desk lobby the front lobby desk of the Hotel Gibbs. Okay. That's where he so died. So is he like hanging out there? Yeah. Yes. He. What does he do? So as far as like the hotel employees, they swear to hear the wailing of ghosts of these fallen soldiers like all over the property. So that's kind of messed up. Oh, so just like terrible sounds. I guess. Let's talk a little bit about Hotel Gibbs first. There's a lot of hotels in the area. We could go into lots of them, but these are the ones I stayed in, okay? So Hotel Gibbs is like like smack dab in the middle of Alamo Plaza. Again, dude died right where the front desk is. I do remember when I first went in there, you're just so captivated by the history of the building Mm -hmm. and how it looks in there and how it presents when the lobby and everything that you're just like, it's a lot to take in yeah um supposedly it's one of the most haunted places to stay in san antonio and it's also one of the most historically significant so it was constructed in 1909 and when they were doing that uh some of the workers found two of the cannons that were used during the battle of the alamo oh crazy yeah They were just like going to build a thing and they were like, oh, there's some cannons there. So they actually took the cannons and they removed them from the building's basement where they had been placed. And they Mm -hmm. gave them to a couple of museums where they still are today. And the first one is the Alamo Mission Museum. And then the other one is the Briscoe Western Art Museum, sometimes known as the Jack Gunther Pavilion. It's believed that as soon as the cannons were removed from the Gibbs building, that's when all of the ghost stuff started to go crazy. Oh, so they were like, give us our fucking cannons back? I guess. They just, well, I mean, like, if they were on the U.S.'s side or the Texas side and they wanted their cannons back to, you know, they might think that they needed them to be secure. Yeah, because they think they're still... Like, can you imagine if those are not residual hauntings and they're just, like, 
like where like for 200 years you're just at this battle still oh my fighting gosh. for your life over and over and over again honestly a lot of these ones that happen here i feel like they're energy impressions they have to be right because like i hope they are i hope they are i hope that somebody isn't just stuck i mean i i get it i know like if we're talking about it in terms of you know crossing over to the other side that 100 200 years is probably not that long of a time period for a dead person but yeah it feels sad so it feels very sad one of the security guards in the old u.s postal office that is next door to the gibbs hotel it's now called the this is a weird one the hippolito f garcia building i hope that you say hippolito i i bet you said it wrong but maybe i don't know how else i don't know how else Uh, it would be said okay okay garcia building and u.s courthouse so it used to be the u.s post office but anyway there was a security guard in there it was super early in the morning and he must have been bored or something and he decided he was gonna just like peek out the window Mm-hmm. and glance outside you know because he's just like what's going on outside i'm bored and in the corner of his eye he spotted two shadowy figures pushing a super heavy cannon from the gibbs building to the alamo oh so at the t- you know like when the cannons were placed there, like this was part of the action right yeah. later on it's not part of like the alamo attraction that people go to visit but it's still in that plaza because remember like that whole fortress was freaking huge yeah okay so he was super used to seeing reenactments of the alamo like they happen on a regular basis in the area we didn't get to see yeah. any which i was bummed yeah i kept all because covid of course i read all this stuff before we went so i was mm-hmm. like if i did see a reenactment i would probably go up and like poke a dude in the belly just to see <laughs> Like, just to see. are you real are you a ghost <laughs> nothing like that happened so i did not get arrested i'm sorry that didn't happen for you i know i i really wanted some shit to go down and it didn't so the guard looked away for a second and when he looked out the window again there was no one there later that day he was kind of freaked out to learn that there had been no historical reenactments at that you know, at the Alamo that day. Also, it was super early in the eats. morning. So why would there be a historical reenactment at like 6 o'clock He thought they were the just morning? really excited they were rehearsing or something. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. Like, your brain wants to explain. You're not going to be like, well, those are ghosts immediately. That's not... Like, when I see... Like, if I were to see, like, actual people that weren't, like, see-through, like I imagine ghosts to be, I would not... I mean, like, what? why would you think it was a ghost if it looked like real people? I wouldn't. Like, I really want to see a ghost that presents as a real person and then later on find out it was a ghost and be like, whoa. That would make me feel better than seeing a see-through person. I don't like the idea of seeing a see-through person. Yeah. But yet I put myself in these situations. Okay. So he came to realize that what he'd seen, what he thought was residual energy of fallen Texas soldiers bringing one of the cannons to fight the Mexican army. That was that's how he squared that away in his head. So okay. the Hotel Gibbs now stands on the site of 
Maverick's old house, Samuel Maverick. And I will explain a little bit about who he was. So not long after the tragic battle of the Alamo, Texas politician and signer of the Texas Declaration of Independence, Samuel Maverick, looked at the land and felt the desperate urge to buy it. He was born in South Carolina in 1803. He was actually pretty well off. Like he came from a well-to-do family and he attended Yale University for college. He graduated in 1825 before traveling to Virginia where he studied law. Okay. He left South Carolina only after running for a seat in the South Carolina legislature. Legislature? Yeah, I said that right. In 1830, so six years before the Alamo, where his anti-secession and anti-nullification views led to his ultimate defeat. So, he was not for breaking off. Okay. He wanted to let's stay together, and they were like, nah. Well, this led me to a question, because this is like 1830, and the Civil War didn't happen until 1861 I believe the question there is like were there people like fighting to break away that far in advance like 30 years before that is that what that means that could be yeah I don't know when all that started but I'd imagine it wasn't a quick situation anyway I mean, I it kind of took me down a rabbit hole, and I started looking into a lot of the civil. And Texas is like a whole other situation. Like they want to be their own country. Yeah, they they, have their own power grid. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he didn't fit in. He did not fit in in South Carolina, um, so he moved to Georgia, which he really didn't fit in there either. And then he tried Alabama. Like that's not that much different. Like maybe like keep looking, buddy. And he went go to to the other side of the border. Yeah. yeah, he he went to Texas in March of 1835, and I guess he found a new cause to live for, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because literally most of the Texians were just peeps from the South. So yeah. Like, why did he fit in more there? I don't know. I really don't know. Anyway, he he settled down there in March of 1835, and he began to involve himself in Texas's original efforts to claim independence from Mexico. So this is like right around the time that all of this is starting up. Okay. He got put under house arrest. Like, he really wasn't there very long, and then they're like, you, sir, are arrested for... (laughs) Yeah, the Mexican government was like, no, dude, chill out. And he's like, damn it, I don't fit in anywhere. Um, He was in prison for nearly a year. Like house arrest prison or real prison? Yeah, house arrest. He was house arrested um, with another dude named John W. Smith and another guy named A.C. Holmes. And they bore witness to many of the Texans' trials to leave Mexico entirely. So I don't know how that would be the case since they were, like, literally locked in their house. But what else? Okay. So he was released from house arrest in December of 1835. And this is just three months before the Battle of the Alamo. 
He stayed on site until almost the last minute. He left four days before the the battle at Alamo. Oh, like because he knew they were coming? Yeah. Or No, he went to serve as a delegate to the Convention for Texas Independence. So I think basically he was trying to do some political type thing. But also he kind of seemed yeah. like a little bitch because he like was like, I will go talk about our independence, but I'm not going to stay here and fight. Well, okay, here's the thing, though. Some people are better talkers and some people are better fighters. And he, maybe he knew his place. And the talkers don't ever have to die. Anyway. They don't. He heard about all of the bloodshed and the death and, like, how bad it seriously was. And he reportedly told a friend that he was compelled to go back to the Alamo and purchase the land where William Travis, Colonel William Travis, had been killed. And that is exactly where that haunted hotel Gibbs stands today. Right? Okay. At the front desk. So yeah. he said, quote, I have a desire to reside in this particular spot, a foolish prejudice, no doubt, as I was almost a solitary escape from the Alamo massacre. Right. So he's basically like, I was pretty much almost the only one to survive. No, that's not true because you went away four days beforehand, bitch. Yeah. Anyway. Like he the way like he, he put wanted that, to be there I to didn't be really haunted like by that. them or what? It's like survivor's guilt, maybe. I guess. Maybe. So Maverick constructed a two-story house on that exact same spot in 1850 where the soil was soaked with the blood of the fallen and Colonel Travis had died about 30 years earlier. So it did take him some time once he purchased that to actually, like, get his place up and going. So Interesting. At the turn of the century, so 1900 about, San Antonio, Texas had shed most of its Wild West status, but it still had quite a bit of the wild in it. Historic but often rundown buildings were being demolished to make way for newer properties, and they were kind of looking at these like the high rise. So Maverick's home at the northwest corner of the Alamo compound was one of San Antonio's archaeological victims at the start of the 20th century. So that okay. house that he had built, that's the one that got that got torn down. Knocked down. Yeah. Yeah. So 1909 comes around and Colonel C.C. Gibbs swoops in and officiated the construction of the first high-rise office building. It was to be eight stories tall. And let me tell you, it was breezy up there, like meaning we were up on one of the higher floors and it was like, it was creaking and swaying. Like it kind of scared me a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was old. And it was built of white glazed brick and terracotta. Its interior features were, were pretty awesome too. It included one of the city's first elevators. Now, those original elevators, they're still there. They're still there, and they have, like, a velvet rope thing around them. Unfortunately, they uh-huh. no longer are used by live humans. That's good that the live humans aren't using them, but I'm yeah. guessing some ghosties run around on them. So we checked in, and literally the first thing I did was, like, was drawn to, like, this big open area in the front, and there it was. And I just stood there for a while, like, waiting to see something did you hear any ghosts no 
Nothing. Oh, bummer. Okay. Sorry. So Gibbs was kind of a baller. Like, he was one of the executives for the Southern Pacific Railroad. And he was also, like, a drinker of legendary proportions. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Like, dude could put down some liquor. And everybody knew it. Like, he was a... He was kind of a a hoot when he was drinking. So there's one particular account from 1901. There's this editor at the Tammany Times newspaper, and he wrote an article like specifically about Gibbs' drunkenness. And it also happened to coincide with his meeting of U.S. President McKinley. Um, So the editor brought the president to San Antonio. And tossed around the idea of introducing him to Gibbs, um, who at the time was an ex-railroad magnate and reformed passenger agent. So there was a lot of talk about what was going on with the railroads and things like that. So this is a story that was narrated by the editor of the Tammany Times about Gibbs, who is completely fucking sauced, and the president. Okay. So this begins... The telling of it. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Speaking of accidents, while in San Antonio, I introduced the president to Colonel C.C. Gibbs. The president remarked that railroad companies had doubtless to pay larger sums to persons who were hashed up by the cars. That's where you are fooling yourself, Mr. President, replied Gibbs, who had been drinking. Seven out of every ten railroad accidents are settled with annual passes. Nine men out of ten are willing to be run over lengthwise by a freight train on a quarter of a mile long for the sake of a few free rides. I nudged Gibbs to shut up, for the president and the cabinet members were looking very uncomfortable. Gibbs had forgotten that the president and the whole gang were dead-beating their way across the continent on free passes, It is lucky for Gibbs that he is no longer in the railroad business. Otherwise, he would be feeling around for his missing head. It isn't a pretty, it isn't a pretty head to look at, but it is the best Gibbs has in stock. It is, however, infested with brains. And that's the end of that story. I love how old people wrote. I know, right? His head is infested with brains. He basically called the dude ugly. Yeah. I guess he really wasn't an attractive man. He was rich, but not attractive. Basically, despite his less than stellar looks, Colonel C.C. Gibbs proved to be one of the most wealthy men in San Antonio, and his high rise was not superseded by another until actually the early 1920s, when the also haunted Emily Morgan Hotel was constructed to be the city's first medical building. I did not get a room at the Emily Morgan, although I did try. It just wasn't available. So let's talk a little bit about the ghosts of Hotel Gibbs. There's definitely like this old world ambiance to the entire building. Um, Super old timey with its hot pink striped bedding. Yeah, I said that right. Yeah, I looked up some pictures. Did an atrocious job. When they Yeah, that is a very uh, ugly choice of colors. This beautiful ho- like it's literally a beautiful hotel. You go They in, have like paint all over the place too. That's just some interesting colors. I know. Yeah. You check into your room. If you get a chance, I'm sorry if you're driving and can't and can't look it up, but 
like they they literally use like hot pink and is there like a bright green color too yes yeah it's really hideous pink a bright green like bright blue involved brown mixed into it it's yeah real ugly okay well i am gonna say that like in person it's not as hideous but it was a better price than some of the other ones anyway the bathroom in the one that we stayed in i can't remember i can't remember why if it was just like the regular one but it did have a really cool bathroom like it was old-timey and had this like yeah i think it was like black and white tile on the floor and this cool shower that's super that was that was cool i think there were wood floors in it so it did have that like old-time feel it had the older trim and things, but I think it was all painted. It is. Anyway, yeah. it was converted into a hotel in 2006. So I did have, we that got there at night. Sense. I was a okay. little bit nervous that night, but nothing really, really horrendous happened. It was cool okay. to look out at night. Like we could look out at the Alamo that was lit up. Cool. From up above. So. The builders praised that the Gibbs building was a leap back in time. It's a wonderful project just saturated with history. So the elegant elevators are a super important piece of the history. They were the last building in San Antonio to employ elevator operators. That's what I'm trying to say there. Okay. So, you know, the the weird little bell guys. That they had like the, a dude that's going to push your buttons yeah, like for a you. a little square hat. Is that what elevator operators wear? Yeah, I think that they would just disappoint your children who always want to hit the buttons. Unless they were nice. I don't know. Like, my kid would not. Does Like, she would. She still doesn't let me hit the button in the elevator. Really? Yeah, she likes to hit those elevator buttons, man. I don't know I what like it Lucy is. Lucy would be like, oh, I don't know. I just don't know if I should hit that. You can do that, mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you're... Your kid's like, like, oh, you go ahead and do that. And my kid's like, let me do it. I know. Right? That yeah, describes yeah. our children perfectly, actually. <laughs> so, Okay. So the old elevators, like I said, are out of commission for the living. But the dead are still said to ride them up and down. Right? It's roped up. But you can walk up to it and see. So like I said, that's the first thing I did. So on countless occasions, guests have wandered in the into the hotel to see the elevator doors ping shut or even see the wisp of a, a dress skirt appear inside before the doors slide closed. So some people are annoyed that they can't use the century-old elevators, and guests often go in search of one of the hotel's managers being like, hey, I thought you said that that was off limits, but I just saw somebody. Right? So according to the head concierge, Jake. That's it. It's just his name's Jake. Yeah, I get it. Jake. He said that people, when this happens, are, he's like, usually they're just like suspicious, you know, as if the hotel is like purposely withholding information from people or something. And he says the only information that the hotel gives is possibly withholding is the fact that the hotel has more than a few ghosts hanging around. And so, they like to ride elevators. Yeah. So people dressed from another time period stroll down the hallways. They float through the walls or disappear through the guest room doors. It did kind of seem like 
like they had restructured some of the rooms like from the hallway so i wonder if yeah maybe like go through where there used to be a door that could be because i heard one story about like a ghost that kind of like floated like up on a thing but it was because the hotel floor was or some floor was like a different level or something in a building yeah and so the ghost was like staying on the floor that used to exist but it was like a half level above or below it or something like that it was weird i think it was like they said that they could see like the top of the ghost but then the other half of it was like in the floor and it was just like walking around (laughs) thank you very creepy Um, Several occasions, um, several different occasions, guests of the hotel have actually entered their room to find that somebody is already in there. As soon as they try to speak, the figure disappears. I like that's the kind of stuff you know. Well, that be I like, read no, before. thank you, I'm leaving. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I read before, and so whenever I go into these rooms, I like either bust in, like I mean business, or I'm like very cautious, like excuse me, but never, no. Okay, so employees, too, have experienced some paranormal things here. They claim to have heard eerie disembodied voices, the tip-tap of unseen shoes, the front desk of the hotel where Colonel William Travis is said to have died, is particularly active as well. Right? So they think dude is hanging out up there. Yeah. So we're going to go across the street, kind of kitty corner across the street on the other side of the Alamo. So if you're facing the Alamo, if I'm remembering correctly, the Gibb Hotel is on the left side across the street, and the Menger is directly next door to the right. Okay. It was once known as the finest hotel west of the Mississippi, but it has also earned the title of most haunted hotel in Texas. So that's why I stayed there. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like it's. What is it called again? Menger Hotel, M E N G E R. Okay. This is similar to one that I was researching today, the way that it looks inside. It's so pretty. It's cool. It's, it's really cool. So like from the time that you walk in, there's like all of the old heavy woodwork, but there's also like these really high ceilings with all sorts of cool stuff. I just remember there being like blue. Is there blue in the picture? Yeah, like it's a like a blue? like a lighter blue, kind of green almost. Mm-hmm. For being old, it also was kind of airy. It just gave yeah. me like an old timey airy feeling. It has one of those lobbies that has, like, it's, like, open, and then there's, like, a balcony around it. Yeah, the balcony up top. And then there's these big, cool uh, couches and stuff in the middle Mm -hmm. where you can sit. It just feels fancy. This is so much prettier than the other one. (laughs) It is so much prettier than the other one. There's a picture of it at Christmas time, too, and they have a really cool fucking giant tree in the middle. Oh, yeah, I bet they do. I'll actually talk a little bit about Christmas time and what they do there. Back to the history of the hotel. If we kind of go back to what was happening with the Alamo, right? For days, the battle went on. On March 6th of 1836, the Mexican soldiers rushed the compound, as we know. General Santa Ana's troops sieged the church, busting the doors open with a cannon. 
um, one by one, the Texian fighters and their supporters fell, including famous James Bowie and Davy Crockett. All right. So we know that. Land which the Menger Hotel would be built on 23 years later, the Alamo fell to General Santa Ana, and it is reported that all the men fighting for Texas independence, all of them were killed. Ugh. Except for that one bitch that ran away. Yeah. Not that other hotel. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Manifest Destiny. In the 1840s, do you remember talking about Manifest Destiny in probably like eighth grade? I don't remember that ever happening. You don't remember that term? No, I don't remember that term, but I don't think that I had the same eighth grade stuff that you did. I literally I correctly in my social remember. studies in seventh grade was what I got in ninth grade and I was able to skip some oh. of social studies in ninth grade because I was using the same book as I did in seventh grade at a different school district. All right. Well, U.S. history is really important. Okay. Anyway. I know. So maybe that's why I don't know things. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, maybe I had a really good teacher. So shout out to you. Okay. I'm not going to say your name because that's. It's just a thing I won't do. But he was a pretty cool guy. And I specifically remember this one, like writing it on a little card. Oh, I know who you you're know, like talking on my flashcards. About. Yeah. Yeah. So countless people were migrating west across the Great Plains of the U.S. Journalist John L. O'Sullivan wrote, quote, The right of our manifest destiny to overspread and to possess the whole of the continent, which Providence has given us, for the development of the great experiment of liberty and federative of self-government entrusted to us. He initiated a rallying cry that would be echoed all throughout the eastern seaboard. So basically this dude wrote this thing and it was basically like we're going to manifest our destiny, right? Like God wants us to do this kind of feeling. Okay. And they used that, well quite honestly to do some bad things but oh. you know it motivated people to move west so 20 year old German immigrant William A. Menger probably felt this calling you know in some capacity because mm -hmm. he ended up in San Antonio in the early 1840s it was still very much a cattle barren town right it it like I said, it was still a little bit of the wild was left in the Wild West there. So yeah. Menger wasted no time in getting settled down. Within a few years, um, he started the Western Brewery with his partner, Charles Philip Deegan, who was another German brewmaster. We know okay. a lot about German beers in Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. Western Brewery was not the only or was not only the first brewery in Texas, but by 1878, it had also grown to become the largest operating brewery in the Lone Star State. So, pretty big. In 1868, yeah. Menger also bought out his competitor, which is called Naylor's Brewery, and he earned the loving nickname of Beer King. The Beer King guy. Beer <laughs> King. <laughs> But, like, literally think about how young he was in his 20s. Yeah. Which, Good job, dude. Yeah. 
Anyway, Western Brewery had been built on part of the site in which the Battle of Alamo had taken place. Just on the other side was a boarding house that was owned by a widow named Mary Gunther. Mary was literally one of the first people that Menger even met when he came to San Antonio Mm -hmm. because she had that boarding house. He was looking for a job when he kind of rolled into town and he started staying at Mary's place and he just stayed there for like three years. Oh, okay. Hmm. I wonder why. Well, he convinced her to marry him and they fell in love and they got married. So they both. Oh, I thought it was going to be like a scoundrel of sorts. No, he's not a scoundrel. He's actually very So she's sweet. like a female proprietor and she's like doing her independent thing and he's like coming in and like taking yeah. over. Yeah. I mean like she was a widow, so she probably owned the boarding maybe she owned the boarding house with her with her husband that had passed and this young yeah, I suppose. young gentleman. I like how I'm like king. I'm like he ruined her life. <laughs> he didn't ruin her life. He was the beer king and he made her the beer He's queen. He's the beer king and they fell in love and then they had their boarding house. So then what happens? So they have both. So both businesses were going well in San Antonio. Soon enough it was necessary and they had to expand the boarding house because they just needed more space. So yeah. together they decided to turn the house into a hotel. And they named it the Menger Hotel. And because, you know, they named it after themselves. So yeah. they they pretty much had a dream and they made it come to reality together. I think that's really cool. That is cool. I liked that. So the Mengers hired a local architect by the name of John M. Freeze. I bet you it's Freeze, not Fries. But it looks like fries, probably like freeze. McDonald's fries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Freeze is probably a good probably. way to do it. All I right. know somebody so they, that has that last name and that's how they say it. But yeah, I know that they sometimes hired, people with the same last name don't say it the same. So They hired Mr. McDonald's fries to design their shared dream. Um, February 1st of 1859, the hotel was completed. It was a two-story stone structure and it had all the classical details, like what she was describing there. The interior was even more breathtaking than the than the outside. Like, it is. It's a really beautiful building. The railings are yeah. so cool. Yeah. You should see, like, the pool area. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Historical and cool. I love a historical pool. I think that's cool. William Menger continued to operate his brewery business. He actually had a large cellar constructed under the hotel. So three foot thick stone walls formed an underground space and it was used to chill the beer produced by the brewery. He then made a tunnel that ran between the two establishments so that Menger, who was really proud of his his tasting brew, his tasting brew? What the fuck did I just say? The taste of his brew? Yeah, that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was he was really proud of how good his beer tastes. So okay. he liked to talk it up to the guests of the hotel. And mm-hmm. they could sample and tour the brewery via a creepy-ass tunnel. Cool. Like, that part to me is, like, weird. Why did you make a tunnel like he would take people in the tunnels under 
to the brewery. He had a dream and like his wife got to probably design the other part of the hotel and he was like, I want a cool tunnel to my beer. Okay. And she was I like, Okay, whatever. Torches. Here's your man cave. Here you go. I bet they used torches. But like if you were staying at a fancy hotel and they were like, Hey, you want to take a tunnel over to a brewery? I'd have to be drunk first. Oh, I feel like I would do that shit. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like I'll uh, go in a tunnel. With the ghosts? There nobody I did they know there were ghosts then? I don't know. Okay. The Minger received so much attention that within three months of the grand opening, William and Mary began to sketch out a plan to expand the hotel. So what had started off basically as a 50-room hotel became a hotel for 90 guest rooms, making it the largest hotel in the area. Oh. So that's pretty cool. The Civil War came around. Uh, around 1861 and it started fucking up their business both i'm of sure businesses. yeah because the number of people You're coming to go stay on at vacation. the hotel like people didn't want to come anymore for 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 leisure right or just visiting or rolling through town as they once had um i'm sure it took a little bit of time after the war started but things got weird so William People was were busy to... being off being soldiers, and ladies yeah. aren't going to be traveling around by themselves in fancy yeah. hotels. So what they did to support the war efforts, that it, instead of choosing, um, they instead chose to open the hotel as like a hospital. Oh, that's so, probably a good call. So there were a lot of sick and wounded that were coming I was reading about this, and I guess in the San Antonio area, although Texas was part of the Confederate states, they did have a lot of, like, the Union soldiers coming there as okay. well. So yeah, I don't really think that they were, like, one over the, over the other kind of thing, but, like, a lot of people passed away during this period at the hotel. Okay, yeah. Like, that's, like, a creepy, creepy part to it, too. So soon after, in March of... 1871 William also passed away in the hotel so that's a bummer that's like bummer. a lot of people dying there and basically like he was such a cool guy that like the entire city was sad when he died and they really Aww. didn't know exactly what caused his death it was kind of like a mystery but like he just kind of was taken ill he got really sick they didn't do a, an autopsy or Maybe anything it was like his that. liver I don't know. He was and, a guy. Yeah. So his death will always remain somewhat of a mystery. Despite his death, Mary refused to give up. Like now she's widowed twice, right? God, so that right sucks. after her husband's passing, she was quick to put out an ad in a local paper that she was basically like, hey, everybody, I got this. She said it would cause no change in affairs with the brewery or the hotel. Oh, she so was she was like, like, but just please, just so you know, I'm not going yep. anywhere. Yep. Don't even try. I'm not going anywhere. So she didn't allow his death to affect the businesses at all. And in one year alone, Mary welcomed 2,000 guests to the hotel. So things were back up and booming again. And She's with a the expansion, She is. And with the expansion of trains and a depot station being laid out in San Antonio, the the Menger was booming. By the 1870s, she decided to add a lush 
modern technology and outfitted the entire hotel with its own gas source. So Mary's age was probably the only thing that really ended up putting a damper on her business sense. As she got older, she just wasn't able to to keep up as much. You know, it happens. Yeah, so that happens. Her son really didn't want to inherit the hotel. Like, he just didn't. That wasn't his life path. He didn't want it, which is really yeah. sad. And so the property was sold to the original contractor, um, Major J.H. Campman. The Menger sold in 1881 for $118,500, which in today's money, um, depending on when this was written, was $2.8 million. And he also purchased all of the interior furnishings for an additional 8500 which would be about 203000 today. So I feel like that's pretty cheap for what this is. Pretty cheap. Pretty cheap bonehead. I feel like the price of that does not account for the 9% inflation. Yeah, I don't think so. Years. I think that that must have been written a while ago because that doesn't seem like enough. No. For really the amount of space. And it looks no, like the place it's is... in good condition. It's been kept up well. And it's right next Maybe to it wasn't a huge tourist destination. Yeah. So I don't know. So what kind of ghostly things happen here? Um, let's see. Are we ready for that part? No, we're getting there. So okay. under Campman's management, so the new guy, a new bar was installed and it became one of the most elegant of its day. It was um, Does it did this guy buy the brewery too? I Or did they stop? He didn't say that. So it would be cool the, if they still sold like the original beer from the guy that I opened bet it. They yeah, it would be cool. I wish I knew. Who knows? I wish I would have Somebody spent time in the us. bar, like knowing what I know now after doing this. Yeah. Like I should have read a little bit more, but it was a near identical image to the bar at the House of Lords Club in London. Oh, cool. So that's kind of cool. Um, it has a beautiful cherry wood bar, matching cherry wood ceiling and French mirrors. The um, ceiling is really cool. Yeah. It really is an amazing place. I just, walking into places like that, they also had these old phone booths. Mm-hmm. Like, we took a bunch of silly pictures in them, but they were like the super dark, fancy wood, like, phone booths. And the girls were, like, going yeah. in and out of them, like, pretending to make phone calls. It was funny. <laughs> so, Menger Hotel continued to be a place where people would go and stay on a regular basis. So, let's fast forward a little bit to 1924 something really sad happened on october 15th of 1924 the headlines read flames route menger guests 15 million dollar oil exploding i don't know really what that means but the oil exploding that they're talking about was really not responsible for the fire Uh uh-huh Anyway, it, it the fire started in the kitchen in the hotel's new addition. Okay. And it basically, like, fucked up the walls and the ceiling pretty bad. In the whole hotel? Well, on the third and fourth, fourth floors specifically, okay. it was real bad. So, like, the fact that it was built with wood was really a huge downfall because it, it, yeah. it let the fire run along the woodwork 
heating the expanse basically of the chimney and completely swallowing the entirety of the third and fourth floors. Oh, that's so really sad. This happened in the middle of the night, which for me is like, that's always a huge fear that there'll be a fire in the middle of the night. But that's terrifying. Yeah, that's scary. So there was a night clerk that actually went from room to room, like pounding on people's doors and waking people up. Apparently, like, one person reacted with such complete hysteria that he pushed the the poor guy, like, down the stairs. Whoa. But he was okay. Oh, God. I was like, because it seems like if you fell down those kinds of stairs in one of those buildings, you would get dead. You would think so. Like, if you hit your noggin? He was feeling a little, he was feeling spry. He was fine. Probably. Okay. Cool. It was not the 101 guests staying at the Menger who were actually hurt. Instead, it was one of the fire engine guys that was coming to help them was one of the people that got hurt. Oh, um, that sucks. The steamer was headed to the fire at the Menger Hotel, and it rammed into an oncoming streetcar, and yeah. it injured two of the firemen uh, that were operating the vehicle and three people in the streetcar. That's so, crazy. Like, I know. So, like... Nobody, the 101 guests that were staying there got out and they were fine. Anyway, so one of the firemen was found unconscious under the wreckage. So there's no mention of his death in the record. So they really didn't say that anyone actually died. It's just okay, like bad so things happened like to the people that were coming something. to help. Yeah. Okay. So the... The newspaper called The Express recorded that, quote, rarely have the firemen had to do battle with a more stubborn or spectacular fire. So the flames allegedly, like, engulfed the entire block, which is huge. But at the Menger, the original section of the hotel, good thing, it was spared, actually, from any major, major damage. So it survived. It was only after the fire had been going on for about 45 minutes that that they were able to get it under control and kind of, you know, get things under control. So famous visitors at the Minger Hotel, some of which who have stayed a little bit longer, um, over the years, it has persisted as one of the most beautiful places in all of Texas, right? So we already know that it's one of the most haunted and it has welcomed some incredibly famous guests over the last century and a half that it's been around. So some of these people, when they list them out, I have no idea who they are. But actors such as Sarah Bernhard, Lily Langtree, no idea who those people are. Sorry. Yeah. Political men like General Robert E. Lee, Ulysses S. Grant, authors William Sidney Porter, Sidney Lanier, Oscar Wilde, those are all people that have stayed there. Yeah. Um, royalty and 11 presidents have also stayed there. So that's and Jules. Really cool. And Jules. And me. I stayed yeah. there. One of the most famous of all of the Menger guests that stayed there was a guy named Bill. So in the early 1900s, no, maybe you were going to say like Bill Nye, the science guy or something. <laughs> it was Bill Nye, the science guy. No. Bill Nye, the science guy was there just, once. Was they have like a plaque in the lobby with like they have all these old timey pictures. <laughs> they have a picture of Bill Nye like in his lab coat. Right? Sorry. Okay. Keep going. He only wears a lab coat. 
Okay, so it's the early 1900s, and there's a fair performer, and he ran away without paying his bill. And Ooh. he must have been, like, really desperate to avoid Come paying on, because it just so happened that he left a 750-pound bull alligator. In his like, room? Yeah. How the fuck do you even get an alligator into the building without anyone noticing? He's very sneaky. Anyway, they were all kind of opposed to evicting the poor alligator from the hotel grounds. And so they just decided to name him Bill. So they just like kept the alligator in a room? They gave him free reign of the atrium. How does oh. that work? That was nice of them. And sometimes they were like, sometimes if he was nice, they even brought in other alligators so he could have friends around. To like play together or what? I don't think so. I feel like that would just accidentally like make either a massacre or babies. I don't yeah. know. But anyway, that was their most famous guy that was there was Bill the Alligator. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucking weird. All right, so during the Great Depression area, area, during the Great Depression era, uh, business slowed down, like most other places, right? Yeah. 1940s saw a reemergence of the popularity. New renovations were added to the hotel by the then owners, the Moody family, and the famous once again returned, right? Mae West, Babe Ruth, Roy Rogers, they were all visitors during this period. The Menger restaurant, the Colonial Room restaurant, received very high praise for its menu as well. I ate breakfast there. And I Ooh. guess you're supposed to eat the homemade mango ice cream, but I ate breakfast. Oh. You don't get mango ice cream for breakfast even in Texas. I would do it. So. In 1980, the Menger was awarded a state historic marker. In 1989, it received one of the highest praises for being a historical hotel as being listed on the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Every year they have a Halloween party for children, and every year they do an annual Christmas party for underprivileged children. So I bet that's, that's cool. where that big fancy tree comes in. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit about the ghosts. Yeah, let's do it. There's a dispute about how many ghosts are actually Oh, there. that seems like something you should fight about. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I some people <laughs> some people say there are 32 isn't it specific. weird 32 is the amount of extra people that they got to fight for the texans oh that is true oh, weird okay others claim that it's probably closer to 45 i guess we don't know so guests have reported um, wow. countless different things Everything from witnessing beds actually levitating off the floor. Fuck that oh, no. noise. No, um, hearing strange rapping noises. Like, uh, I'm assuming rapping that means like knocks like like or not Snoop Dogg. Like we're like putting some rhymes down. No putting rhymes down. <laughs> some people see nearly translucent faces appear beside their own while looking in the mirror. I am not kidding you. I read that before we stayed there, and that one freaked me out because I'm like, did you look in the mirror at all? I did. When you were there, or did you just not look in the mirror? No, I looked. I would in the maybe mirror. avoid it. I looked in the mirror, but I did it with caution. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, like I was ready. I, I don't like ready. to look in a mirror at night in the first place. <gasps> ick, ick, ick. The scent of cigar smoke is inhaled in the hotel's non-smoking room. So you could just be sitting in there and suddenly you smell cigars. Um, heavy doors are known to open with no source to have actually pushed them. So that's creepy. That is creepy. Like a lot of other haunted locations across the country, Menger's ghosts aren't shy in the slightest. Um, if you choose to stay the night at the Menger, all that can be advised is, quote, prepare yourself. I was prepared. Yeah. And what? Did you experience anything? No. No. Bummer. So there are some people that think that the ghost of Teddy Roosevelt is there, which. Okay. This one. He'd hang out there. I know. But like this one doesn't make sense to me. Like I feel like this would be like a residual energy. Most specifically, I'm thinking in this bar. It like really gives me Teddy Roosevelt vibes. That's what it is. So he was a huge fan of the Menger Hotel. He visited it on three different occasions. occasions. And the first vision, what the hell? The first, the first vision. <laughs> when I visited, visit was certainly uh, the one that was that was the most infamous. He arrived in San Antonio with his infamous Rough Riders. Like, that's what they called their posse. Uh-huh. Um, I guess now people see his ghost in the Menger Bar from time to time. I feel so like if right. I saw Teddy Roosevelt's ghost, it would be a different kind of experience, even if it was see-through. It is because it's night at the museum, okay? Yeah. Like, in my mind, it's just... I think I'm okay with a celebrity ghost. Like, like not a normal one. <laughs> yeah. But a celebrity ghost? I I can get down with that. Like, like can we take a selfie? <laughs> so you can prove you were there. He like arrived. You can see through Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> right. He so arrived in 1898. Uh-huh. The leading colonel set up recruitment headquarters in the patio area. Of the okay. hotel, so Teddy, T- Teddy joined. Um, <laughs> he joined them like eleven days later, and it was just kind of like this weird motley crew of a bunch of different dudes. So like, some were Teddy's classmates from Harvard. There were other that were Native Americans. There were Texas cowboys. There were Rangers, and just some random people that had enlisted to fight in the Spanish American War. Okay. They they earned that nickname after a Washington D.C. correspondent called them a rough riding outfit. So, Claimed they that. only remained in San Antonio for a month, but like that's a long time to stay there too, right? Yeah. The locals preferred to call them Teddy's Terrors <laughs> okay, instead of like the that. Rough Riders. Yeah. Uh, so they did leave quite an impression on the people of San Antonio. So those that survived the war and and lived to tell about it returned to the Menger Hotel for a reunion in 1905, including Teddy. So it seems that even though like 100 years has passed, many of the Rough Riders still like to camp out there at the Menger. Even more, the ghost of Teddy Roosevelt is one of the more 
frequent ghosts that are there. So you could get a selfie with him. Cool. So he's seen or heard at the bar. So when staff close up at night, they've seen a man appear by the bar. He's nearly translucent. He never moves, never shifts. Nonetheless, like staff have reported feeling as though they are being watched at all times. I just feel like Teddy Roosevelt wouldn't like stare you down like that. Maybe it's like I the Robin like... Williams Night at the Museum yeah. version of him that I'm thinking, but I just feel like he wouldn't do that. I thought he was going to be more jovial. But yeah, that might just be the Night <laughs> at the Museum talking. Right? So, seated at the bar, he's known I guess he like he like hollers out to workers. He's like, "Holla!" And they're like, "Holla back!" He was going through some things while he was there. He was under stress. No, like he's he's really good at selling. Like he's really good at coercing them into conversation. Like he's still trying to recruit. All right. Like he's really good at it. So there's rare occurrences when staff have actually approached a very real looking. Like ghost, it said that he starts his conversations with recruiting tactics, and it's like he's trying to rope them into joining the Rough Riders, which is a weird <laughs> thing to have happen. Okay. For I'll the join. most part, the Menger staff don't really seem to be afraid of Teddy, but there was one particular night when there was like a new employee, and he was supposed mm-hmm. to be closing the bar down, and he was almost finished and he heard like a sound behind him. He whipped around and he saw a man appear at the bar. So Teddy was just doing his thing and he was like staring intently like he often did at the other staff. Uh But the new employee like completely fucking panicked. And uh, yeah. And he's basically like, I'm not in night at the museum. Fuck this shit. And he tried to run away and started freaking out and was like pounding on the doors. But he realized he was locked in so he's like beating on the doors probably it was probably embarrassing for him too yeah Um, not really long sure how long it took but like eventually somebody else came and opened up and it was embarrassing for the guy and he actually just quit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean if i saw a ghost where i work i wouldn't want to be there either there's another ghost called sally white she was a chambermaid. She was one of the most beloved staff members during the late 19th century. So late 1800s. She was like a rocking good chambermaid that everybody loved. Everybody mm-hmm. loved working with her. She was smiling all the time. But I guess that really couldn't be said of her home life because she did have a common law husband. His name was Harry Wheeler and he was a dick. I was like going to say, was he a dick? And she was, was happy because she was at work and not at home with him? Yeah. He was like the super jealous type. Stories circulated around the hotel that Wheeler was always jealous of any attention given to his quote unquote wife. His jealousy sparked a ton of arguments between the two of them. Some of them even transpiring at the Menger. Like he would go to her place of work and harass Ugh, her. What a dick. He's horrible. This is really horrible. On March 28th of 1876, Harry's jealousy got really out of control. So, sorry, on the evening before, they really got into it. Like, they started fighting pretty good. And Harry whips around on 
Sally and starts closing in on her. He gets up in her face and he threatens to kill her. So she starts running and she runs to the local police station that was in that same area. So to kind of put it in perspective, she lived a couple of blocks away from the Menger. And I think that the police station is not far from there either. So she begged the the officers to help her. They agreed, which is great for that time period because yeah, it's not a time period where usually a battered... just like we're like, well, let's let's walk you home, sweetie. Yeah, normally like a battered spouse would just be taken right back to her husband during that time period, but they didn't. Yeah. They agreed and allowed her to stay at the courthouse for the remainder of the night, so she just has sleep over there, which was really nice of them to do. However, yeah. they did an investigation over at the house and. They talked to Harry and stuff, and they said that he showed no signs of being a threat and that he didn't have any weapons. And so they had no leverage to arrest him or stick him in jail. So yeah. basically, early the next morning, Sally returned to their house. She just wanted to get some items before going to work. And Harry had been sitting there waiting for her, and he had a fully loaded pistol. Yeah. So Sally ran. She ran down the street because, like I said, the Menger was close. Yeah. And she was trying to get to the hotel so that she would be safe. And Harry followed her down those two blocks. And when he caught up, he closed his hand around her throat and he also unloaded the gun. Like he he killed her. He shot her in the head. So. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. He didn't shoot her in the head. He shot her in the lower abdomen. And when she squirmed out of his grasp, he fired again and shot her just to the left of her spine. For some reason, she was being cared for at the hotel. So Sally actually died two days later on the third level floor of the original part of the hotel. Harry wasn't arrested for murder. I don't know how the fuck that works out. Um, Wow. Nobody really knows where he went after the shooting. I guess he must have disappeared. So Mary Menger and the other management at the hotel really loved Sally a lot. Um, so they decided that they were going to pay for her funeral costs. The 1876 receipt can still be found in the lobby of the Menger Hotel. I wish I would have known. I would have looked for it. In which they yeah. paid cash for Sally White. So it it says on there, she was a chambermaid, deceased, murdered by her husband. They paid $25 for the grave and $7 for the coffin. So today, Sally's ghost is still frequently seen in the hotel, most especially on the third floor where she passed away. She's happy there. Yeah. It seems even in death, she really does enjoy her work there. She's most commonly seen holding a big armful of towels or sheets to her chest on two separate occasions. That all sounds very residual. It does. Guests report seeing Sally's ghost walk through a door or a wall as though the barrier posed no problem to the otherworldly specter. Yeah. She always has those hands full. Another guest said that she had just gotten out of the shower and she saw Sally folding sheets at the end of her bed and she was just like, nope. No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I guess she, like, had just gone to shower. Like, she, like, ran. I, I hope she, like, put something on. Um, But <laughs> ran down to the front desk and, like, told them everything that had happened, you know. And they're just like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, I have a story in one that where somebody didn't put their pants on. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Anyway, if you're hoping to see Sally yourself, it says, stay on the third floor of the original section of the hotel. Be on the lookout. for. She's nearly translucent. She's wearing a maid's uniform, a scarf tied around her head, and a lock necklace of beads. They said, if all else fails, mess up your sheets a little bit. And she'll come and fix them. She'll be like, I'll come fix that. Another one is the ghostly king. He is Captain Richard King. He's originally from New York City. Richard's poor Irish family didn't have a lot of money to provide for their son, so they didn't see any other possibilities, so they put him into service as an indentured servant. We actually, our family, that's how they did things too. Yeah. Um, A lot of people did. So Richard actually hated his time that he was an indentured servant. Um, He worked with a jeweler in New York. And at the first opportunity that he had, um, he stole away on a ferry destined destined for the Mississippi River. So King Richard would go on to be one of the most successful entrepreneurs of the 19th century. He founded a steamboat company. He actually worked as a blockade runner during the Civil War. After visiting Texas for the first time, King decided to buy land in Corpus Christi. He opened King Ranch, and he would end up growing into a monster of one million acres. So he really was like a big cattle baron. He developed a love and appreciation for the Menger Hotel during his business trips to San Antonio. He stayed there so often that the hotel bestowed upon him his own private suite on the second floor. So he actually had a place there that he loved so much that when he got super, super sick with stomach cancer, at the end, he requested to be brought to that private suite. So people are just like, I would like to go die here, please. Yeah, so he did. He died there on April 14th of 1885. They held his funeral in the downstairs in the lobby. And it was like this huge celebration. And there was a huge funeral procession that was seen all the way up and down the streets of San Antonio. So a lot like Sally White, King Richard wasn't about to let death be the only reason that he wasn't going to hang out there anymore. So basically, since he's died, they see his ghost around, mostly in his old private suite. So you can go there and you can stay there in the King Ranch suite. Nice. And actually, you can stay in the exact same bed where he died. Oh, no. Yeah. No, thank you. People say that a lot of weird shit happens in there. They also have a huge sense of being watched. There was one woman that that awoke. That is fucking cool, though. She glanced at the foot of her bed, and she saw him watching her sleep, which is really fucking creepy. Well, he was like, this is my bed, yo. Yeah, right? Others claim to hear heavy foot footsteps in there um hearing shutters on the windows opening close seeing him roaming the hallways on the second floor and disappearing through doorways the strangest thing that happens is that there's a dancing red orb that only ever appears in the king's suite or just outside of it basically i mean this place has been around for a long time to just kind of wrap it up in here because of its like it's it's central to San Antonio, 
It has been the scene of many murders and suicides over those years. A lot of restless spirits just don't want to leave. I mean, it's a transient place, right? The hotel and death have had a really close relationship, like they say, since the very beginning of, of when it came up. Um, in 1890, an Austin insurance agent showed up at the Menger. He entered the bar room where Teddy Roosevelt's ghost has been seen. Yeah. He went up to the bar, removed his six shooter from his holster. He raised his arm, aimed, fired, and killed Jim Draper. Just some driver in San Antonio. Just stuff like that, you know. It, there's been a lot of crazy things that have happened there over the year. Um, 1903, a male and key clerk was visiting San Antonio. He was originally from Kentucky, 26 years of age. He was super sick. He just came there and decided he was going to commit suicide by cutting his own throat. Wow. Why would you choose that way? I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me. Anyway. Just like it seems that death by murder and suicide have only increased that paranormal activity, of course, because what else would you expect? And unsuspecting guests, they all report seeing ghosts of these unfortunate souls. It's always like replaying last moments of their lives. Oh, God. Like, imagine seeing the guy cut his own throat. No, thank you. Oh, I didn't read that one before. I really don't want to see that. Yeah. That anyway. would be residual. I think that would be residual. Because you like know that you're killing yourself. So you know you're dead. And you're moving on. Unless maybe you're putting off having your talk with your spirit guide. <laughs> yeah. And your friends because you know that you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get made fun of by your friends. So that was it. How do you feel about uh, staying at a haunted hotel in San Antonio someday? I would really like to go to San Antonio and walk around these hotels, but not sleep there. I think that no matter where you go, you could get God. I know. That part is scary. That's kind of how I feel about New Orleans sometimes. I mean, just, just go to the Super 8. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It looks really cool, though. I would really like to go there. I really like how... Like, looking at decor, too. I know this is a weird thing for me to say, but I do like how they have, like, historical beds in the Menger. Yeah. And the other one is just, like, they 2006'd it in a really fancy old building. <laughs> they sure did. Uh, so, you were if looking you ever buy a hotel rooms. and it's fancy, keep it that way with cool beds. It is like a dream of mine. that matches. It's a dream of mine to have an old bed and breakfast i so cool i love how old things look but then i worry about what's in them you know what i'm saying attached to them yeah like i I get afraid so i would just like somebody to build me a brand new house that looks old somehow yeah i'm gonna try doing that i really am that's cool i'll come visit so that was it. That was our scary San Antonio Alamo episode. Cool. I liked it. I learned a lot. Cool. I'm glad you learned a lot. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, guys, okay. thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.